When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, how was spring break for you, sir? It was good. Got to relax a little bit, unplug, got out in the country away from everything for a little while, and now we're back. And I guess school is about to start up because it's March Madness. That's what's going on. How are you doing? <laughs> Our spring break is, so we have school next week, and then the week after that, spring break for Mr. Cummings. So I am looking forward to some time away from school. Mr. Ainsworth, let's jump into Gold Stars and Detentions because you just started talking more. March Madness, Gold Star, <laughs> to the Pac-12. Because I told y'all last week, pay attention to Pac-12 basketball. They went undefeated in the first round. Oregon State wins. Oregon wins. Although Oregon's win is good. I mean, I know you don't like asterisks, Mr. Ainsworth, but the fact that VCU couldn't play due to COVID, that's a reasonable asterisk, <laughs> I would assume. Um, but uh, the Pac-12 did great. Colorado, I tried to tell you about them. They beat Georgetown by 20. So I'm kind of sad they beat Patrick Ewing by 20. But McKinley Wright, McKinley Wright, shout out to the Pac-12, shout out to some of the little guys who were able to win, shout out to Ohio University who knocks out the defending national champs, which is a weird deal because they won it two years ago, shout out to Abilene Christian, I know that Mr. Ainsworth doesn't want to hear that shout out, but they knocked out (laughs) the University of Texas, and shout out to Oral Roberts. Maybe the most unfortunate name for a college in the entire tournament. They were able to take out the Ohio State Buckeyes. So shout out to all of these teams who have gotten off to a great start so far in this tournament. Mr. Ainsworth, how about a gold star from you, sir? <laughs> my first gold star is somewhat related to March Madness as well, although the shots taken at my Texas Longhorns are noted. <laughs> my, my first gold star goes to someone who's kind of on the losing end of one of those in Ohio State with EJ Liddell. EJ Liddell in Ohio State lost, like you said, to Oral Roberts very unfortunately named he went to twitter to <laughs> post a couple of pictures of half dozen dms apiece from a couple dozen people that i think take amateur basketball and the extracurricular instantly sports are supposed to be very very seriously um <laughs> lots of stuff i'm not going to say on a pg podcast but lots of uh, slurs and swearing and stuff at him and he basically just took screenshots and kind of laughed it off like what did i do to deserve this i'm a human and he said this is not me saying anything negative about ohio state fans i love you all dearly but he also is like very much a 20 year old kid and like we're going after this kid in his dms about like losing a basketball game like just doesn't seem real and i guess my gold star is to ej liddell for being way more composed at 20 years old because 
the response there are no responses from him in the DMs. It's just him on the receiving end, and there's no way I would have kept my cool and just been like, oh, okay. <laughs> so like, I, like, there's no way the average twenty year old. I think that that's a very adult response from a kid with some not so adult actions headed his way. No, absolutely. I'm picturing your last date accidental would have been the first day you received one of those DMs. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> shout out gold star. You know what? If you come at teachers, you best not miss. I don't know, Mr. Ainsworth, if you have seen the social media video from the president of Virginia State University, Makola Abdullah. But let me describe it for you, Mr. Ainsworth, and you could definitely go check this out. There's, uh, you you probably have seen these prankers on social media who are sports-related pranks. So they're basketball players, and they're just walking around with a ball. And then they just start dribbling in front of you, and then you try to D them up, and then they embarrass you with a crossover and whatnot. There's a dude who's doing this on the Virginia State University campus, and he is making security guards look crazy. He's making students look silly. And the president of the university, Makola Abdullah, comes walking out of a building. The kid who's doing the pranks goes up to him, and you can tell that he's talking to him to let the president know what he's going to do. So what does the president do? Snatches the ball out the kid's hand, takes (laughs) off his jacket, gives it to whoever walking with him and then i kid you not miss ainsworth first move he starts dribbling throws the ball off the kid's face catches it back the kid is like oh oh it's like that so now he's putting moves on the kid the kid's trying to d him and i mean he hits him with the god sham god crossover and the dude who's doing all the pranking is the one who ends up falling down and then the president just puts the ball down grabs his jacket puts it back on and just walks to his next meeting like that's how i roll so shout out Dr. Abdullah, because we love it when you rep teachers in that way. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about your that next gold star, sir? The left to right pullback on that crossover. Is <laughs> that um, is legit, legit. <laughs> speaking of crossovers, I'm going to go to basketball and give a gold star to Jeremy Lin. Obviously, we're recording on a Sunday, and at the last week's events uh, in Atlanta and the Asian community have been hard to talk about. We're two history teachers, and so it's the kind of thing that you don't get to not talk about. But I, I will say that Jeremy Lin, as a Asian-American basketball player, usually gets handed every single Asian-American and Asian, not American, topic to talk about. And so um, <laughs> I, I just want to give him a gold star for continuing to be like the NBA's voice in this fight against racism towards East Asian people. He has done this for a long time, right? He, You can go back and look at the quotes he was saying from his Linsanity days, even things he was getting from crowds but uh, way back then. I think it's worth pointing out that obviously Jeremy's a very smart guy, Harvard grad, right? But he continues to do it so well. And so, I mean, obviously it's very personal to him, but he continues to be like the guy everyone in the NBA looks at. Like, well, what's Jeremy Lin going to say? And he has yet to miss. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that that is a, a strong, strong mood to have for going on a decade now. Um, so shout out to Jeremy Lin, Gold Star. No, absolutely. Three things. Number one, you're right. He's yet to miss his shot here. It's almost like this is his version of Linsanity when you start talking social justice issues for Asian people because like he didn't miss Linsanity for them two weeks and he does, he's not missing now. Number two, you talked about the fact that he's one of the few uh, Asian American players who's made it to the NBA. And so he gets all of these issues. And uh, as a black man who's worked in independent school, I know that feeling. Um, number, <laughs> number, number three, Kane Ma, who is a a former uh, basketball player at the University of North Carolina, very vulnerably expressed how he was actually attacked while he was at the University of North Carolina on campus by students. And it was anti-Asian racism that led to that attack. And so when you see uh, these folks who are expressing and being vulnerable and sharing their experiences so that you understand, there is no minimizing that experience. And the reality is is that there has been uh, anti-Asian racism and sentiment in this country well before Tuesday in Atlanta. Mr. Ainsworth, for my next gold star, shout out to Emmy Award winning director Antoine Fuqua. Shout out to Chris Paul, because they are doing a new documentary called The Day Sports Stood Still. It's going to be on HBO. It's going to tell that story, Mr. Ainsworth, the unprecedented shutdown of sport that happened this time last year, March of 2020. And all of the remarkable turn of events that follows that shutdown. So it chronicles the abrupt stoppage of sports. Uh, athletes' prominent role in the cultural reckoning or racial injustices that escalated during the pandemic. It's going to tell the story of the complex return to competition. It's going to be coming out, Mr. Ainsworth, the day sports stood still, premiering next week, March 24th, 9 p.m. on HBO, streaming on HBO Max. Everyone needs to check this out. 
gold star to Antoine Fuqua and Chris Paul for telling this amazing story of the day sports stood still. Well, and I would just add on that that like we've maybe it's not a movie podcast, so we don't uh, gold star directors a whole lot. <laughs> but I will say we've gold starred Chris Paul before for his efforts in these kind of things. He's a great storyteller and pays attention to history. And I think as two history teachers, that's worth pointing out. My last gold star is really like to a handful of people and things. So my gold star is going to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy Sports and Don Staley. Now, we, we've talked about Don Staley and the Gamecocks in the past. We've talked about uh, women's college basketball in the past. But this week, in light of some photographic evidence of <laughs> what I would just call not equal standards of living the weight room pictures between the men's and women's basketball tournament bubble i think it's worth pointing out that this year we're in a bubble for the tournaments right and so they're very directly comparable because this is probably not the first year that the locales have been that different it's just the first year that they're directly relatable because you could have in the past written off as like well yeah but charlotte's just a better host city than timbuktu or that you know like you could have just said that (laughs) Wherever the men were staying was just, you know, that city took care of them better. But now it's the NCAA doing it with two different places for their bubbles, and the weight rooms are dramatically different. Upon seeing the pictures very quickly, Dick Sporting Goods and Accounting Sports and Outdoors both said, hey, we'll get the trucks. Where's the address? We'll donate the stuff. <laughs> um, and, and they donate the stuff very quickly. Don Staley, also amongst a handful of other prominent women's advocates, pointed out in what I'll call official school letterhead although it was digital so i don't know how that goes out but it had like the school logo like it looked like old letterhead which is just awesome to me but in a long diatribe how like this is not just the weight room this is not just one-time thing this is an over and over repeated thing and it starts with things like the official twitter handle for march madness only covering the men's side of the tournament right like so that does that lead to women not being in march madness it starts with the fact that there's ncaa basketball and ncaa women's basketball right like on the official ncaa website that's how they're marked and like don staley pointing out all these things in a several picture long letter through social media to kind of make a stand and use this moment where we're talking about the disparity in a weight room to point out that this is just a microcosm of a much bigger issue. And so shout out to Dix and shout out to Academy for helping out. Obviously, that also shows that the NCAA probably could have gotten this earlier on if they just asked. <laughs> and shout out Don Stay for pointing out that this is just the latest and most photographed, but certainly not the only time that this kind of thing is happening. No, absolutely. Let me piggyback on that, Mr. Ainsworth. A gold star to tonal which is a, a product, they actually make these uh, kind of home gym type products. They actually donated 10 tonals as well to go into this gym. They were just like, basically they saw the response, they are like, hey, just let us know the address. We got 10, we'll send them over to you guys, which is amazing as well. Uh, detention to the NCAA for this exact situation, because Mark Emmert, you're supposed to run the show, and you just have to be better. Like, I don't understand... How you can tell these athletes they have to bubble and then not ensure that the bubble situation is the absolute best possible situation for these athletes. You already, you know what, we have gone into Mark Emmert and the failings of the NCAA so many times that I get sick of rehashing it. And Mark Emmert is now, in terms of this podcast, he is in the Tillman Fertitta and James Dolan box. He just needs to go away. So Mark Emmert. Go away. The NCAA needs, needs new leadership. And it would be awesome if that leadership was maybe diverse in some way, shape, or form. I don't care if it's racial or if it's gender or whatever. Just get someone in there who thinks different because the NCAA gets it wrong too often. It's gotten it wrong for too long. I was also going to mention Mark Emmert. And I think my big thing is that we frequently talk about these NCAA issues as if the NCAA is this like grandiose, big thing. <laughs> without ever pinning things on the person running it, right? Like, this is far from the first time we've detentioned the NCAA as a whole. But it's not far... I mean, it continues to go to them in this group, in this blue seal with four letters in it, and not to the guy running the org, right? Like The, the guy running point, the organization wasn't even the one who came out to speak against this on ESPN. Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, even all the recordings, it's other people. Like, he, he gets his underlings to do it, which is cowardice in the most uh, obvious shape and form. You know what I mean? 
Well, and they they do things like talk about revenue and like, well, the men's tournament brings in this much, so we're going to do this. And it's like, A, you're clearly not investing in the women's tournament if you're not giving them <laughs> the main Twitter handles and the main pub and the main – like, A, so that's the first thing is you only get what you put in, right? And then, B, we keep talking about revenue sharing, and what I was under the impression was a bunch of amateurs playing. Right, like at some point, Mark Emmert can't continue to call these people amateurs and then say we're going to divide up the swag and the benefits and those perks and those kinds of things based on revenue because I was told that the revenue was not high enough to pay kids, right? And so, like at some point, you got to pick one. Like it, it's it just doesn't make any sense. It's again, how many times we're going to detention a guy like Mark Emmert in charge of the NCAA before something happens? No, absolutely. Just give the cash to Drew Timmy so he can work out his Fu Manchu. Like instead of worrying about how much weight you're going to put in the gym, um, that Fu My- Manchu is awesome, Drew Timmy. <laughs> by the way, in a in a relatively related note, uh, although it was more about the game of women's basketball, uh, I'm also going to detention. Shaquille O'Neal for comments he made this week. Shaq insinuated that a way to, quote, fix women's basketball would be to lower the rim to have more dunks. To which I say, A, it is not surprising that a guy with Shaq's skill set thinks that the only way to make a game entertaining (laughs) is to have dunks because the guy couldn't shoot free throws, right? There are how many women's college and professional basketball players are better free throw shooters than Shaq? At a 10-foot basket, I might add. The second thing I'll say is that this idea that the game is not entertaining, like we all watch Steph Curry, we all watch Kyrie Irving, we all watch Clay Thompson. We all watch Dame Lillard. Those guys don't dunk, right? Like, they don't have big dunks. And so I don't understand why the women's game has to adjust and shift their basket to a height that would kind of age out a lot of the people that are too old to adjust at this point. Completely change the game to a shorter basket that involves more dunks when they're showing primetime games of guys not dunking. They're all shooting threes. <laughs> I don't see what the big deal is. Um, and so it's just, it's very clear and evident that Shaq, much like the way that he and Barkley will talk about the modern basketball game in a way that describes they clearly don't know what they're talking about, doesn't watch women's basketball either. He doesn't under, he doesn't watch it enough to have direct analysis to it, to which Candace Parker, I thought, cleverly said, my daughter's going to be dropped up <laughs> dunking on everyone, and so you need to get bent. And I love, I love Candace Parker on that show. She needs more airtime. Should probably get her own gold star out of it. But I just, that really <laughs> worked me in a lot of ways, because that was at halftime of a game where Jokic is shooting threes. Like, yeah, he's seven feet tall and not dunking. What does it matter? <laughs> no, and listen, you don't have to watch women's basketball. All you have to do is watch Candace Parker's face to know what the <laughs> appropriate sentiment for that expression was. Um, last but not least, with my final detention, goes to whoever put together this picture of the Mighty Ducks, like from the Disney children's movie. Whoever put together this picture of now everyone's an adult? Like, why? I don't need that. I know I'm old. I don't need now photographic evidence that I'm old. Oh, my gosh. So, Mr. Ainsworth, the Mighty Ducks, they're children, right? I mean, it's the kids playing hockey. So, forever in our mind, there are 11, 12-year-old kids playing hockey, and Gordon Bombay is the coach who um, is really Emilio Estevez, right? Like, that's that's who the actor is. But now Emilio Estevez is looking like he's seen some better years. And now all these kids are grown up with gray hairs. The girl from the movie now has kids of her own. I don't need that. So, um, whoever does that, detention to you. <laughs> Because that was not a good moment. That was a traumatic moment for Mr. Cummings. Hopefully, not too many more traumatic moments on this podcast as uh, we talk about uh, LeBron James and whether or not his most recent injury actually precludes him from winning MVP this season. Uh, we'll talk about whether or not the NFL and, frankly, all sports kind of get wrong this idea that free agency should be before the draft. Let's have that conversation. And then last but not least, let's talk about how overrated or not overrated it is to throw 100 miles per hour in baseball. Without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Mr. Ainsworth, let's kick off this week's podcast with a little bit of basketball talk. LeBron James, we record on a Sunday. We find out yesterday that he's going to be out. High ankle sprain. He's going to miss some time. So, Mr. Ainsworth, knowing that, the thesis statement reads, the injuries to LeBron James and Joel Embiid have secured the MVP for Nikola Jokic. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade that thesis statement? You know, I might be hanging too specifically on a certain words, but I'm going to go, like, D+. plus. What wow. do you think, Mr. Cummings? Wow. Wow. Um... I can't wait to hear this Harden talk because that's got to be it, right? It's got to be hard. I'm going to go, I'm going to probably go C because there's some A stuff and some F stuff, but I'm not going D. Damn. 
friends, I promise you, when we talk these thesis statements, I don't expect them to all be about James Harden, but I think this one's going to be. Well, I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts, because you went D-plus on the thesis statement. The injuries to LeBron James and Joel Embiid have secured the MVP for Nikola Jokic. And I'm curious as to if it's not going to be Jokic, which is, it seems to me like that's what you may be insinuating, then who do you think is going to be, Mr. Ainsworth? Well, so I go D because I hang on the word secured, because I think that is wild to think of right now. I also think it's kind of wild to think of the, and he's the best player on the team, but a guy whose team is fifth place in the West right now has somehow secured the award. I I look at Nikola Jokic, he has had a tremendous year. And so from an individual perspective, right, he is nearly at a triple-double, right, 27, 11, and and 8.5. When you watch them play, he has changed what the center position means in that he runs their offense, which allows them to play small guards off of him that are more like a shooting guard type and a Jamal Murray or whoever it may be, right? And so he, he does those kinds of fun things. And, and really is changing the game a lot of ways. And frankly, before his own injury, we talked a lot about how Joel Embiid and like the revitalization of the center position with Jokic and Embiid. And Embiid looked like the front runner because the Sixers are doing so well out east. And then he gets hurt. And then it looked like, well, it's LeBron's year because LeBron is LeBron and he's carrying the Lakers and Davis is hurt. And look at what he's doing without him. And then LeBron gets hurt. And so now we're at Jokic and we're talking about like the secure or inevitability. And I think the biggest thing I have with that is there's too much basketball to be played for me to sit here on March, as we record March 21st and be like, this is secure. This is for sure. (laughs) Um, Especially again, for a guy whose team is fifth place in the Western conference, that would mean he's playing a road playoff series in the first round in the history of, of the NBA's MVP award. There has only been one time where a guy went on the road in their first playoff series and also won the MVP award, and that was Russell Westbrook in 2017, who literally had to average a triple-double, also having the emotional piece of it's Russell Westbrook on his own after Kevin Durant left. And you still had arguments for James Harden and Kawhi Leonard in the same year. Like, there was <laughs> like there was still strong arguments against Russell Westbrook winning that MVP, and he's the only guy to ever do that. So I, I can't say secured. I have a handful of guys they also hand the award out to. But you thought there were A reasons in this, and I'm anxious to hear. Yeah, the A reasons are simple. Go on Basketball Reference, dude. Like, let's, just, let's check out the probability for the MVP on their award tracker. They got Jokic at 44.9%. If you're wondering who's second... It's Embiid who's hurt, and he's under 16% at 15.8%. So, like, I understand what you're saying, which is that Jokic is on the fifth best team in the West. But what we said on this podcast, what, a couple of weeks ago was that if Jokic and Denver starts winning, then it feels like it's his award to lose. They are now 25 to 16. Guess what they started doing? Winning. There's nothing to say that they're going to stay fifth best in the West. And even if they do, there's just a recognition that the West is clearly superior to the East. So you're going to have a bunch of teams in the West. They're going to be hanging around 25 wins at this point. And they're clearly better than the fifth seed in the East. You know what I mean? Like no one, I don't think anyone's out there saying that Portland who also has 25 wins, is not better than the fifth-place team in the East. I don't think there's anyone who's out there saying that Denver isn't also. So to me, I look and I say, they're winning games. This dude is doing everything for his team. And oh, by the way, I understand your point about the idea of only one dude has ever won the MVP that didn't have a home playoff game. He had an average triple-double. Dude, you just said, Jokic is basically doing that. He's he's And he's, what, almost a foot taller than Russ. He's doing it as a center. He's averaging 8.6 assists per game, right? 27 points, 11 rebounds, 8.6 assists. Like, he is changing what we think centers need to do. And if you are literally changing the game, feels like MVP might be worthwhile. I will say that a couple of other A reasons to consider are if he doesn't win it, someone else must. So who's that going to be? If what we're saying is that LeBron and Joel Embiid are getting limited because of their injury situations, then that means we then have to look to who the other top candidates are. Again, I'm on the MVP award tracker on basketball reference. Embiid is second. Giannis is third. Harden is fourth. They're basically at 13%, like Giannis is 0.3 percentage points higher at 13.3, where Harden's at 13. Here's the deal there. Giannis has won back-to-back MVPs. Harden has an MVP. We've talked about this whole idea of MVP fatigue, and I don't think that Giannis is going to win a third MVP in a row. He's going to be one of these dudes who's like Harden. He's going to be 
maybe top three in four of the next five years. But I think he would have to basically get 40 points per game or something crazy like that to win another MVP because we've given them back to back. Harden's the same deal. He's always top three. So now, especially considering the fact that he was traded from Houston to Brooklyn and there are going to be people who remember how it ended in Houston, it's going to be hard for him to get the award too. So now if we're looking at the next person after Embiid, Giannis, Harden, and LeBron, it's Dame Lillard. The tracker has him at 3.7%. And listen, I'm not saying Dame Lillard's not having a great year. I'm just saying that his team is doing just as well as Jokic's team. And I would say that Jokic has played better this season than Dame. And that's saying a lot because Dame's averaging 30 points per game. So I know that Dame has had an incredible season as well. So like in my mind, I got to think who's going to win it. Now the F reason is like the idea of secured, like you said, like the reality is, uh, you know, heaven forbid I say this out loud, but Jokic can get injured tomorrow, right? And now all of a sudden well, this whole MVP thing is- He's never is, been- particularly athletic which you tend to think of people's bodies breaking down they also had a deep western conference run in an abbreviated offseason and here they are i look at dame lillard as a primary form of competition we i think james and Giannis will both finish in the top three or four of the voting as well we talked about that with the james harden thesis a while back i do think it's worth pointing out that statistically Giannis is having as good a year as either of his mvp years no absolutely Giannis is doing work and milwaukee's starting to play better and milwaukee's winning games i think the tuck wagon added and call me a homer i think adding Tucker adds a lot of versatility to the lineup. I am stunned that you did not give him a gold star in some way, shape, or form for his career <laughs> in Houston. Stunned. Um, my, my thing there is I think that it actually allows Giannis to play a five with him at the four, and it changes things up, and it changes who he has to guard when he is the five. Anyway, I think there's lots of things there that are going to actually benefit them in the long term. As I look at the current standings, I think it's worth pointing out that Portland is also 25 and 16. Dane Lillard is second in the league in points per game, with Bradley Beal still being ahead of him narrowly. I also think it's worth pointing out that Portland has just gotten back CJ McCollum, and Portland is going to get back Nurkic, and they're going to continue to get better. And based on wins and losses before the All Star break, has a much easier schedule post All Star break than Denver does, has a much easier shot to climb up these rankings as they both sit here today at 25 and 16. Like, I I would anticipate Denver finishing higher, especially with LA having to go sometime without Davis or LeBron, although Davis should be back before LeBron unless something's worse there than we realize. Phoenix is sitting up there at 27 and 13 and is thus second in the West. They have a more difficult schedule than either team, and so there could be some coming down to earth there. I see Portland as the team leapfrogging there. I also think it's worth pointing out there was a lot of hype around a young international kid named Luka Doncic on the Dallas Mavericks coming into this season. Uh, They are sitting at the bottom at 21 and 19. They have the easiest second half schedule. Porzingis is back and I see them making big leaps. I'm talking like big, big leaps up the standings as well. I I think that those are all things that could happen that don't mean Denver is moving anywhere above the four line. I also think pointing out we haven't mentioned anyone on the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz is going to have the best record in the league and just not have an MVP candidate. Is that really going to is that really going to happen? Uh yes, and, because their top candidate might be Rudy Gobert, who everyone hates. <laughs> yeah, so well, that, and, that actually. And could so happen. what I, what I want to talk about there is like, is it going to be we're not going to give it to Gobert because everyone hates him from a year ago? Is it going to be like we're just going to admit to ourselves that Donovan Mitchell is just a guy that tries really hard in the regular season? Like, what's happening there? I also look out east, and I mean, with well out, there's no reason Milwaukee can't take the top spot with you know Kyrie and Durant being so in and out of line I mean Durant hasn't played in what feels like forever I, I don't think you can ignore what James Harden's doing uh, I, I just I see several things there that are, all make me think this idea of secured isn't just not a again if it were Jokic it's Jokic's to lose I'd be like yeah there are things within his control like if they just go win a bunch of games it's within his control right but secured is just not the word I would use when I see other guys having inside tracks at this. We talked about the 2017 MVP uh, with the last time I went to a guy that wouldn't have the home playoff series. They didn't give, per basketball reference, the MVP in that season to Russell Westbrook either. If you go, like, the odds, until the odds change, obviously, once they hand out the award and they go back and, like, tell <laughs> But, like, if you were following that season as a Houston person watching it all year, wondering why it wasn't going to Harden at the end of the year, they weren't handing it to Russ Westbrook either. Basketball reference thing is always, it's an algorithm and it's a good predictor and it's a good way to compare stats. 
stats and stuff like that. But it's not like it just hands it. They get to voted on award. They don't just no, hand I, it to whoever it's wins. Not the, it's not the end all be all. But what I will say is that what it does is that it adjusts for mistakes that it made in the past. So it adjusted for the fact that Harden, even though. All the metrics said he was having a better year than Russ. Now, they account for the fact that, oh, people really value this whole triple-double thing. And so the fact that Nikola Jokic is darn near doing that gets now added into the algorithm, which is why when you look at Jokic, he is clearly the favorite. And oh, by the way, go check out all the advanced metrics. I want to find where Damian Lillard is better than Nikola Jokic. So, like, what we would be relying on there for Dame would be the fact that CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic will come back and then elevate the team, which it might elevate the team in terms of wins and losses. How does that end up impacting what Dame is actually able to do? Like, what happens if those guys come back, the team starts winning more, and now all of a sudden Damian Lillard's numbers dip, which we have seen historically from Dame. When Dame played with LaMarcus Aldridge, and this was back when LaMarcus Aldridge was good, his scoring numbers were lower. When he, he when he's when McCollum is going, he and Dame will together average somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 points per game. If that happens this year, then that might mean that Damian Lillard's numbers actually drop because right now he's at 30 points per game. He's, he'll have to take a little bit of a hit there. And if Jurkic is actually coming in and doing work, that's even it feels like even a further hit, I guess. And I guess I'm not of the mindset that Denver can't continue to improve. Like, I understand your point, Mr. Ainsworth, which is when you start looking at the West, it feels like, oh, there's some other teams that could potentially climb ahead of Denver. Well, I would say that there's no reason why those teams won't stay ahead of Portland as well. I would then also say that based on empirical data, both Portland and Denver have actually performed much better recently. So they're actually climbing. They're actually winning more games. So what is there to say that they won't continue to climb and win more games, especially when we consider that... The Lakers don't care about seed. The Lakers will go play anyone, anytime, anywhere because they're the champs and they know that they're going to have better players. So it only encourages them to keep Davis and James out longer because they want to make sure those dudes are healthy when the playoffs start. I get the distinct feeling that LA doesn't, I just said LA is that there's not two teams in LA. Um, The Clippers, they don't care about seed either because Kawhi is... Up, down, nope, he's just steady. It don't matter whether that's home or away. So I'm getting the sense they don't really care. Uh, and we are just going to make the assumption that Phoenix will stay there. And listen, one of these teachers told you that Phoenix is going to have a great year this year. So I do believe in the Suns. Portland and Denver have definitively had better years previously. There's no reason why those teams can't climb. And I guess when I look at where these teams both are, I don't see anything that makes me think that Portland's definitely going to just jump Denver, and I understand what you're saying, Mr. Ainsworth, with the guys coming back in the easier record, so I'm not trying to discount those things. I'm just saying that Denver has historically showed that in the regular season, they care and they do well. So I'm thinking, why wouldn't they just consistently continue to do that? Um, That's who they always have been. They're going to play to their identity, right? I look at Jokic, and it's not like I'm saying A. I'm just saying that I feel like there's some A reasons. And so when I average this out, it averages out to a C to me because I'm going to take into account injury. I'm going to take into account the possibility that someone could climb. But it's not going to pull me down to a D plus. It's going to pull me to a C. (laughs) I think my deal is I buy all those reasons if the wording is something along the lines of he you know, is the favorite or like as the inside track or, or what like secured implies to me that it's like, it's, it's a, it's a wrap. It's his, unless something crazy catastrophic happens, knock on wood. I, I look at the standings, look at how the rest of the second half of the season is going to play out. I look at other guys playing well. Well, I think it's funny that we both poo-pooed on the jazz being number one. <laughs> I just don't think that way. I, I just don't see it that way. No worries. You looked at that word secured and you took that personally. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have 
have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days. It'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're a listener to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings, if you had Mr. Adam Schefter or Mr. Field Yates on alert this week for Twitter, your phone and watch and whatever else were blowing up because it is free agency (laughs) season. However, this thesis looks at, should it be free agency season? The thesis reads, free agency should always happen after the draft. You hear that and you think what, Mr. Cummings? Like my inclination is to go A, and then I start to think, I want to account for a couple of possible exceptions. And so based on that, I'm going to go B plus, but I'm pretty strong on this. Mr. Ainsworth, are you just going to go straight A or are you thinking this is an F? So I think more of my reasons are A reasons. However, the strongest reason I have is an F reason. So I'm going to sit at C, even though like the numbers <laughs> might not be the same on both sides, the scale is definitely even. So I'm sitting at C. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, you were in the B range here uh, and it implied that you had a lot of A reasons. So why do you think that free agency should happen after the draft? I'm, I actually want to start with the one reason, like the one caveat that I'd like to consider for maybe why free agency being before the draft makes some sense. And that is the idea of if I worked for the Players Association for a major sports league. Now, obviously, NFL free agency, like we're in the midst of that, right? Started last week. So we're going to talk a little bit about NFL free agents. If you work in the uh, uh, the Players Association, right, you want to make sure that your current players get their money before them draft picks get their money. And so that's the one caveat. Because whether <laughs> it's baseball, basketball, you need the guys in the league to get paid first. And so obviously, if free agency is first. They're going to get their money first, and no one's going to say, oh, well, we have less money because we've got to pay these draft picks. That being said, if I am an organization, I want to draft first, and then I want to know what I didn't get in the draft so I can fill it in with free agency. And I will say this, Mr. Ainsworth, in a sport like basketball where you have fewer players, this might not make as big a difference. Like, it might actually be better for you to go ahead, deal with your free agents, so that way, if... You're in the situation where you're able to get some guys to come in and then you got high draft picks that maybe you can trade that draft capital, maybe package it to free up some cash so that you could get the impact dude who's already been in the league. In sports where you need much larger rosters like hockey, like baseball, like football, you should have the draft first for sure because you need these guys to fill out things like minor league organizations, like 53-man rosters. You need all these dudes who you're going to draft. And so to say, okay, I'm an NFL team. We're going to bring 80 guys to camp. Let me draft seven of them. So that way, uh, and then I can sign maybe, you know, 10 guys who are free agents who didn't get drafted. So that I can at least fill out the camp roster. If I do the free agency piece first, it feels like, okay, I can get a few guys, but I'm not going to get enough for my 80-man roster that I'm coming to camp. And then maybe it inhibits the things that I could have potentially done in terms of the draft. Because maybe I could have went ahead and gotten a dude, but now I have to worry about, oh, this team, the rumors are out there, they maybe want to trade up and stuff. And don't get me wrong, this is great intrigue for us as fans. It's horrible if I'm the GM. Like, no, let me just go ahead and draft the young kids first so then I know. Like, I know Jamar Chase is just going to go fourth, and then I'm cool. Now he's gone. I'll go sign a wide receiver now. Now I can go get Kenny Galladay versus I'm going to rely on Jamar Chase to be there at four and then somebody trades with the Jets at two and takes Jamar Chase and it just throws everything off. If I'm the GM, I want the draft first for sure 
Now, Mr. Ainsworth, you obviously mostly agree with this sentiment, I would imagine, because you said you had lots of A reasons, but you had a really big F reason. So talk to me about how you got <laughs> to your C, sir. So my, my A reasons are all very similar. It's, that it's in the team's best interest, right, to like get the cheaper rookies first. It's in the young players' best interest, as opposed to holding on to old guys that aren't don't have the same potential as the young guys. I tend to like younger players. I think that's part of it. I think we're talking about this in the NFL. We'll talk about some specific NFL free agent stuff in a second. My biggest, it's really big one reason and then like a small reason that i would fail this is that on the one side the smaller f reason is that truthfully it's just the inverse order right as far as constructing your team and building your team the you got to do you got to do both at some point you got to sign players and draft so if you're saying you need to draft first and then fill out your roster with the free agents or you need to fill out your free agents on your roster first and then draft to fill in the holes Either way, you're you're just using the second one to fill in holes from the first one. So, like, that's just a preference on order. And so that's one F reason. I'm like, at some point, you're still going to have, if you'd have known that so-and-so was a free agent, you wouldn't have drafted XYZ or whatever, right? And so, hey, Mr. Big- Ainsworth, you're going to jump into your big reason. Can I just come back to this small reason a little bit? Because if I'm the GM, it's significantly cheaper for me to do it with the draft versus free agency first. Because the draft, if I'm signing undrafted free agents, those contracts are, I mean, they're fou- they, don't get me wrong, thousands of dollars is good money. And as a teacher, I would take it. But it's much it's just much cheaper to do draft first and then sign those guys to fill out the uh the roster in terms of free age so if i could do that first and i got my collection of 20 guys and then i know that i just need a few impact free agents but then i'm just going to sign you know five more guys who are free agents out there i think that that's cheaper that feels better like it doesn't feel like a smallish reason to me but that's well i will say that the nfl just signed a very large tv deal and <laughs> amid, amidst a global pandemic i'm not sure i feel bad about billionaires losing their money <laughs> What I oh, yeah, will they say, though, got the cap. <laughs> yeah, the, they pick the salary cap. So if they think that they need more, they should just up it. But what I will say <laughs> is that my biggest F reason is really just like a study in how humans interact. If we move free agency till after the draft, it, maybe it's because I'm a basketball first guy, but all of these conversations will still be happening before the draft. There is nothing <laughs> stopping the players from saying, Hey man, like, you know, you could come, Hey JJ, you, you could come to Arizona. Like, <laughs> like, there's nothing stopping that from happening. If we move free agency till after the draft. So we might as well get it on the table and do it with some semblance of rules and guidelines and not in the wild, wild <laughs> West before the draft. Like it's just logistically, we can move it and act like none of these conversations happen until after Roger Goodell has called Mr. Irrelevant or whatever the last draft pick, right? We, we can act like all of that's not happening. But at the end of the day, it did. <laughs> like, <laughs> the same way that you see in the NBA, guys are recruiting one another at All-Star Games and Team USA and so on. Those kinds of conversations will still happen in the NFL before the draft, just because that's the nature of how humans work. Like They're all looking forward to next season. You still have all these guys, whether it's football players are smarter than people realize and can have the conversations on their own. You can have the agents doing it somewhat slyly, like, well, what if I had a defensive tackle on the market? Like, they, they can do those kinds <laughs> of things, right? Like This would still be happening and so in my head the biggest f reason is that if it's gonna happen anyway we might as well openly talk about that it's gonna happen as soon as the season's over anyway and like put some semblance of like order to it as opposed to letting it be the wild wild west i love it you sound like the guy who hates this idea of legal tampering like you hate that period don't you it's the, stupid, it's the stupidest <laughs> it's the stupidest name in sports by the way tampering <laughs> says that you're breaking rules so to call it legal tampering like no you can't legally break the rules like that's a it's a it's oxymoron <laughs> And, and, and in some sense, it's just moronic. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, uh, I don't, I don't actually disagree with that sentiment at all. Like that's another great F reason because, yeah, frankly, um, we know that the three dolls got together because they talked when they were all on the Olympic team together about making this happen. And uh, incidentally, the original uh, threesome was supposed to be Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron right. James, and then Carmelo broke the pack. And so then they had to go to the next best option, which is, oh, by the way, probably well, a Hall of Famer and Chris Bosh, right? You know what I mean? You're a Knicks fan. I'm, so sh- I'm sure you remember that Carmelo going to the Knicks the year before. Made killed every- the Knicks. He killed the well, Knicks. 
But everyone <laughs> thought that that was like this like tea leave that they're all coming to New York. And then they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Hainsworth, uh, I would love to talk a little bit of NFL free agency and a little bit of NFL draft because it was such a big deal this week, obviously. And like you said, I don't think I'm the only one who had their phone set and was getting alerts in the midst of their teaching. Now, let me just say, it is uh, problematic to use your iPhone and iPad as a teaching tool when it's your personal ones, because all (laughs) the free agent stuff is coming through. Anyway, NFL free agency starts. You have the CBS Top 100 free agent tracker. And so I'm just going through and I'm looking through and I'm seeing the deals. We spent a whole segment talking about Dak Prescott, who's the number one free agent. He finally got his deal. And, you know, maybe we disagree as to whether or not he should have signed it. But we're, I think we can both agree that we're happy that that man got his money because we feel like as a quarterback in sport, he deserved it. He did everything to get that money. And so he deserves it. Then you have a series of top free agents who essentially are either franchised or re-sign with their teams. Now, Trent Williams is a little different in the sense that he got traded, then signed a new deal because uh, Trent Williams was on the Washington football team. He said, I'm not playing for y'all. And then they ended up trading him to the 49ers and the 49ers worked out the deal. Uh, But he also didn't play essentially all of last year, right? So uh, we're looking at Leonard Williams who uh, re-signs with the Giants, which is awesome. Um, he was a Jet once upon a time, and the, the Jets are so... Oh, my God. The Jets are just the Jets, so they let the Giants have them. Uh, Chris Godwin gets franchised. Uh, Brandon Scherf gets franchised. Uh, Shaq Barrett gets franchised, and that dude, that's a dude who needs his money. The first big team uh, shift is Kenny Galladay. Now, before we got on the podcast, Mr. Ainsworth, we were talking about Kenny Galladay and the move to the Giants. You asked me, knowing that I'm a Giants fan, how I feel about it. I'm curious, Mr. Ainsworth, how do you feel about Galladay leaving the Lions, going to the Giants? Do you think that that's going to help Danny Dimes in terms of his progression? Do you think that makes the Giants like a contender now that they have what most people perceive as a legitimate number one? I'm just curious as to what you think about it. Well, I think most people perceiving as, as a legitimate number one is an understatement. I think as I look at Kenny Galladay and the New York Giants, you have to also factor in that they're bringing back Saquon. And as you look at the New York Giants... They're in what we joked about all season being the worst division in all professional sports. <laughs> like, it ought to, I mean, with the exception of Dak coming back healthy, like, I guess that Dak coming back healthy, you could argue, makes the Cowboys the favorite, but they ought to be the favorite to win the division just because they have two bro- Pro Bowl skill guys that offset one another in a lot of ways, right? You stack the box to stop Saquon, that opens up Kenny Galladay. You spread out and double team and pull safeties out of the box to go cover Galladay. Well, then Saquon's going to run down your throat. Like, theoretically, those should happen harmoniously in a way that I think is interesting. And again, if they go 8-8, eight and eight, they win the division. So that's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that with Galladay and the attention that he draws, it should free up things for some of the other threats that the Giants have, right? Because if you have a tight end who can run a 4-3, Evan Ingram should be able to benefit from the fact that he's going to get a little more single coverage. Sterling Shepard should be able to benefit from the fact that he's going to get a little more single coverage. Like, we we understand that this should work out well. And as I said before we got on the podcast, really the, the, the X factor is Daniel Jones and his development. If he's Danny Dimes, this will work. If he's Danny Dud, this, it don't matter, right? It don't matter who you sign because he can't play. So we got to see what he's going to be in this third year where now he's in his third year second year in the system that the Giants are running uh, under Joe Judge you'll have Saquon back he'll have a few more weapons so we'll see Uh, Mr. Ainsworth I am curious like if you have any uh, kind of free agency pieces that kind of jump out for you I have a couple that feel I don't know there's a this a couple of them that feel kind of under the radar I will say that I love New England picking up two tight ends because if there's a team that knows what to do with the tight end, it's New England. And so for them to get Hunter Henry away from San Diego, who I always confuse with Hayden Hurst. There's so many H's <laughs> there. And then Jonu Smith coming from Tennessee. Like, those feel like, okay, these are the types of weapons, especially with Cam Newton being the quarterback that could make some sense. Uh, Corey Lindsley might be the best center in the NFL. And the fact that Green Bay did not hold on to him, and so he goes to San Diego. And so now the center-quarterback relationship is as important as any, and now Justin Herbert has his dude with Corey Lindsley. That feels like that could be a big deal as well. Is there anything jumping out at you in terms of free agency, Mr. Ainsworth? So we mentioned San Francisco getting Trent Williams. I think it's worth pointing out Miami getting Will Fuller when Will Fuller is healthy and not serving (laughs) a suspension for substances. He's a very good wideout, and that could help 
a young quarterback in Tua or a familiar quarterback in Deshaun, if that would happen, depending on, I guess, how much <laughs> fumbling of the bag Deshaun Watson's done in the last 10 days. I think that as I look at it, I'm most impressed by New England because they're clearly going all in in a way that, for lack of a better phrase, New England doesn't typically go all in on a player <laughs> the way that the system goes in all in on Cam, right? Cam is a quarterback with a very incentive-laden contract, and they're all in on making him successful. With, you talk about Belichick and the way they've used tight ends in New England. Cam and the way he's used tight ends in Carolina is equally impressive. And so they went all in on supporting that kind of a game. The Patriots got a lot of flack from people for their spending spree, but they're really transforming their team in a lot of ways. It's going to cost money. No, absolutely. And New England does a good job, right? They, uh, Matt Judon, uh, Matt Judon makes sense as an edge rusher too. Uh, they uh, pull him away from a rival in the Ravens, right? As I'm thinking about free agency, Mr. Ainsworth, the follow-up question that I have is, how do these moves in free agency now impact the draft? Because I'm looking at a mock draft. I'm looking at a pro football focuses mock draft. And I'm like, okay, which free agents are going to impact where some of these dudes might go in the first round? And and in looking at this mock, I don't know that I see a ton of shifting necessarily. I might actually see a bit of cementing because uh, pro football focus has Devontae Smith going to Detroit. And they just let Galladay go. Like that makes too much sense that whichever receiver falls to Detroit, they're going to try to take. Which means that if you want one or two receivers, you might need to jump ahead of Detroit which might be a good thing for the Jets. I don't know. Like, I'm wondering which of these free agency moves might impact the top of the draft. So I'm looking at, like, the Jets in particular. The Jets signed Corey Davis. Does that mean that the Jets definitively will be taking a quarterback at two? Does it mean that it's eliminated any possibility that they would take a wide receiver at two to support Sam Darno? Like, that's a curious one to me. The fact that the Giants got Galladay, does that mean that the Giants are out in terms of receiver? Because the Giants are at 11, and there's nothing to say that we we understand that Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase are going to go, right? But Alabama's got more receivers that could go early in this draft. I mean, even the kid out of Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, could go, right? But maybe that eliminates that for the Giants. I'm looking at uh, Minnesota. Minnesota is in a prime position to take a corner. They just signed Patrick Peterson. Maybe they don't take a corner anymore. The Jets, edge rushers, this draft, you're going to take edge rushers maybe later, not, not at the top of the first round. And we know that the Jets have multiple first round picks. And so now at 23, are the Jets done? Are they not going to take an edge rusher because they signed Carl Lawson? Like, I don't know. So I'm curious, Mr. Ainsworth, do you see any of these type of uh, uh, pieces in the draft as well? Yeah, I think the most obvious thing is that with the Will Fuller signing I just mentioned, that I think opens up the idea that Miami would take Penae Sewell at the third pick. And there's a trickle-down effect that happens after there that people smarter than me could get into. But I think the deal is if because the, there were people arguing that when they signed Riley Rafe as a tackle, that like, well, that meant that they're going to go with wide receiver. And a lot of people moved Jamar Chase into their third overall pick spot for Miami. And then they signed uh, Will Fuller. And so it's like, ooh, well, now what are they going to do? You need two tackles more than you need two wideouts. And so I think that that <laughs> opens up the idea for Penny Sewell there. I think that means that Jamar Chase is available earlier than people might have thought a week ago. And so I think that that all of a sudden means like if you're sitting at pick seven and you're uh, Detroit and you're deciding between you are all of a sudden deciding between Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase. That means one of those guys is still around at a picks nine, 10, 11, right? You're, so then you get to New York, your New York Giants. And you're like, ooh, we could use the edge rusher. But can you imagine having a guy like Devontae Smith opposite a guy like Kenny Galladay? Like, how do you cover that and stop Saquon? And st- you just you just mentioned all the weapons, right? Like, does that help our young quarterback in his third year develop, right? You get to, I, I, this mock draft I'm on right now has Zach Wilson going 12. But if there is an edge rusher to put opposite Bosa there, like, do you want to do that for San Francisco? <laughs> like, there, it, it just creates a trickle-down effect if, Penny Sewell moves up to the third spot as I anticipate he will. We both are under the same agreement that he is the best lineman in the draft and is potentially a 15-year pro. As I see it, that move to sign Will Fuller moves him into the third spot because I don't know that you necessarily need the Jamar Chase as bad as you need a second tackle. Do you need a second receiver as bad as a second tackle? I'd always go second tackle. Let me just say that every Cincinnati fan has just now gotten confirmation that Parker Ainsworth really hates Joe Burrow because he doesn't want Penny Sewell going to Cincinnati to protect him. (laughs) So uh, there we go. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, it's time for us to talk overrated, specifically overrated skills. Teaching is not one of those, but maybe throwing (laughs) a ball really hard is. Mr. Ainsworth, the thesis statement reads, 
Throwing 100 miles per hour is the most overrated skill in sports. How are you going to grade that, Mr. Rainsworth? So I want to preface this by saying before anyone comes back at me too hard that I am not a baseball guy. My three sports in high school <laughs> were very much football and basketball, and then I was a thrower in track. I, I will say that as I look at baseball, I think the idea of throwing 100 miles an hour is fairly overrated. I think I would go in like the low B range, maybe mid B range, because there is some deference there as a guy that's never played the sport. You did play some baseball, Mr. Cummings, so what do you think? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go C, but let me just say this. As someone who threw a shot put, if you could throw a shot put 100 miles per hour, I don't think that that would be underrated. I think that would be <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, friends, Mr. Ainsworth, like, literally would be a cannon if he could throw a shot put 100 miles per hour. Uh, that being said, <laughs> let's talk about baseball. And the thesis statement reads, throwing 100 miles per hour is the most overrated skill in sport. Mr. Ainsworth, you were actually a little higher than I was. You wanted to go low B there. Uh, talk to me about your sentiment, sir. Well, so my thought is... Is it overrated? Because the truth is the potential, like throwing 101 is crazy, right? Throwing 100 miles an hour is crazy. But I value as a fan, as you know, watching my Houston Astros, I value the idea of placement. And if you can place a ball well at 90 miles an hour, is that more deadly? I tend to think yes, because you're playing the edges of the zone and you're putting curve on the ball. and those. That's where I'm at as opposed to just straight heat. I also think it's worth pointing out we've seen plenty of big league pictures have successful careers that don't break 100 miles an hour, right? And, and so clearly it wasn't in their way. I also, though, went high because, frankly, I didn't play baseball. But hitting a baseball is very, very difficult. And I'm assuming <laughs> if the ball is moving faster, it only becomes more difficult. But I, I don't think that it's the only overrated skill in sports, right? It's two guys that look at a lot of sports. It's not the only thing. No, absolutely not. What I will say, Mr. Ainsworth, is that for me, there are some things that are definitively more overrated and i think that there's like like real sport reasons to consider i agree with you by the way the idea of movement on the ball the greatest pitcher that i ever saw mr ainsworth was greg maddox and greg maddox wasn't near 100 greg maddox didn't top 90 greg maddox consistently was throwing that ball between 86 and 88 he put movement on it and he would put it wherever he wanted to put it. So, like, if you said, hey, Greg, as a catcher, you need to put the ball here, then it was there every time with a little bit of movement on it. And that, to me, is dangerous. And I will always tell the story of Jim Leyritz, who was a backup catcher for the New York Yankees back when they won that World Series in 1996 and then went on their most recent run of success. Jim Leyritz was a pinch hitter. He was called to hit against Mark Wallers, who's a horrible human being. You should go Google him. Horrible human being. But he threw the ball 106 miles per hour or something crazy. So he was the closer. Oh, you know what? Mark Wallers is not the horrible human being. John Rocker is. Sorry, Mark Wallers. Uh, sorry, Mark <laughs> Wallers. I apologize to him and his family. But John Rocker, horrible human being. Um, Mark Wallers threw the ball as hard as anyone. But what Jim Leverage used to say is, uh, if you throw it straight, I'm going to hit it. So... Mark Wallace threw it straight, 104 miles per hour. Jim Lairis hit it out of the ballpark like at 112 miles per hour. So there are some skills that are just a little more useful than just throwing hard. That means that throwing hard is a good, useful skill because you can still throw the ball by someone if you throw hard. But Mr. Ainsworth, uh, what I put together is a list of skills that I think are overrated. We talked about baseball and throwing 100 miles per hour. Mr. Ainsworth, I think it's much more overrated in baseball to be able to run to first base really fast and like they time this uh this run the 60 or or the 90 foot run from home plate to first i think that's like way more overrated because the reality is what at once once upon a time that was valued but we don't steal bases we don't bunt that's the only time that that really matters right so like to me that's a little more overrated now let me ask you this mr ainsworth do you agree with that sentiment in terms of that being a more overrated baseball skill yeah and what i don't know enough about as a person that watches baseball as a fan and didn't play it is this this a pendulum thing where that eventually comes back or does it feel like it's just far gone and it's it's never going to be valuable again because if it's a pendulum thing i don't know if i'd call it more overrated because it would come back but it certainly feels like it's not as important right now the fact that moneyball actually tied literal dollars and cents to some of these things makes me think it's not coming back um that that being said mr ainsworth let me hit you in your sweet spot because i definitively believe that dunking a basketball is a way more overrated skill than throwing 100 miles per hour so now i say that's you mr ainsworth what do you think about that i so i was thinking about this thesis i thought of that and i think my initial reaction is like a just basic like dunking a basketball and a fast break or layup like 
I probably agree. What I don't agree with is the idea that there's like no such thing as momentum because basketball can become such a head game. The powerful dunking on someone and the switching of momentum that brings, I do think still has value even in a three-point shooting game. But that's a very different thing to me than just saying, like, the dunk. Because if you're just talking about the dunk, then it's like, well, yeah, Chris Paul's fast-break layup is worth just as much as LeBron James' fast-break dunk. Like, there's there's no difference in value there. To me, the difference is that, like, LeBron's ability to go over the top of you or whatever that may be has a value and momentum that is different. But those aren't exactly the same thing. And I guess I could get behind that sentiment. What I will say is that in baseball, there's a very famous saying that momentum is the next day's starting pitcher. If the next day starting pitcher could throw 100 miles per hour, then that feels like that's just going to be more useful than a dude dunking. But uh, especially because modern basketball, like, I used to have this t-shirt, Mr. Ainsworth. Do you remember the brand And One? Because they did the mixtapes and stuff. But they used to have the t-shirts, too. And the t-shirts used to have all these crazy sayings on it. And I used to have a t-shirt that said, when a dunk is worth three points, I'll start doing it. Like, (laughs) modern basketball. Uh, Steph Curry scores more shooting the ball from 30 feet than Andre Drummond does dunking it at two feet. So, like, there's there's a legitimate sports argument to say, yeah, dunking is actually overrated because we should just be shooting threes all the time anyway, and that's really where the metrics, and every metric, that's what it tells us to do in sport. Now, I will say that there's definitively a momentum piece that can't be understated, but I would say that when Aroldis Chapman, I've been at, Cincinnati Reds games when he was the closer for the Reds when he comes into the game and throws 106 yeah the crowd goes crazy then too so like in my mind I think <laughs> dunking's more overrated Mr. Ainsworth you brought up and one though I, I want to say one of the things on my list would be not that a crossover and a handle is like overrated but the idea that it has to be like all the different bajillion sham guy that like at some point if I can go right <laughs> to left fast enough right if I can go right to left fast enough or left to right fast enough and you can't keep up that is more effective than having a bajillion touches on the ball. Like, like that was on my list, actually, when you brought up the Ant one stuff. It's like, only one of those guys played pro ball. So, like, that's, that's worth no, pointing out. No, I mean, I, and, and that's fine, but that definitely feels blasphemous considering that you spent your whole life watching James Harden. Uh, let, me, um, <laughs> let, me, let me talk football with you, Mr. Ainsworth, because we're both football coaches. We both played it. Um, a couple of skills that I think are more overrated in football than throwing the ball 100 miles per hour. Throwing far. Like, have you ever seen these videos, Mr. Ainsworth, where they'll have a dude get on his knees and then he can throw the ball 50 yards down the field? Or they'll have a dude stand in the end zone and just throw it as far as he can? And it's like, oh, it's awesome that Jamarcus Russell can throw a ball 60 yards from his knees, but if you can't stay off the perp, then does that really matter? Like, throw the ball. That's a whole different thing, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying, like, he can throw it far. He couldn't play a lick. Like, he couldn't play dead in the Western. So I just think that that's overrated. Uh, What do you think, Mr. Ainsworth? So I think the difference is I value accuracy more than distance. And so being able to throw it through the uprights from the 50-yard line is great, but no one is in the NFL people rarely are that open. You've got to put it on a spot, and I'd rather you be able to put it on a spot 30 yards away than through the uprights from 60. Uh, I 100% agree. The greatest Jet quarterback I ever saw was Chad Pennington, and he, I mean, he didn't he didn't throw hard, but he was darn <laughs> accurate, and he had incredible anticipation. So, like, I definitely value that more than throwing hard. So, I, I also s- want to point out, you saying that the greatest Jet quarterback you've ever seen is Chad Pennington feels a little pointed. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe once upon a time <laughs> I coached with a guy by the name of Chad Pennington. Uh, I don't even know if he listens to this podcast so like i'm not gonna get a raise or anything um <laughs> mr Ainsworth, let's talk about a couple of more football related skills so like combine things that we go crazy over 40 time i definitely think that those are way more overrated than throwing 100 miles per hour what do you think i think the whole combine is because you don't play football <laughs> at the combine i will say as someone who exercises and like did all those workouts in the off season I like enjoy following those guys' numbers, and it's always crazy to see how strong and fast they are, and how explosive and whatnot. But like, there's all kinds of point of you know times where you see that that doesn't translate to being a good football player. So I want to end this particular segment, Mr. Ainsworth, with a conversation about something that probably neither one of us are expert enough in the sport of hockey to speak to, but. Uh, Hockey does their skills competition much in the same way that the NBA does theirs during All-Star Weekend. And one of the skills is the hardest shot. And so now intuitively, Mr. Ainsworth, you would think, oh, wait a minute. That's actually pretty darn useful. If you can just rip a slap shot 100 miles per hour right past the goalie. 
Like, because that's the idea in hockey. But here's the thing, Mr. Ainsworth, why I think it's most overrated. The dudes who always win the hardest shot competition are defensemen. And you can go look at the uh, scoring statistics in hockey. Defensemen never score goals. So it feels like that's just showing off. Like, it's all, oh, I can hit the puck hard. But if you're not actually using it to score goals, that feels like the most overrated skill in sport. Now, again, we are not educated enough to be hockey experts. But I'm just curious, like, does my sentiment make sense as someone who's just as uneducated as I am about the sport? (laughs) I will say I think that this comes back to the same and it's interesting that this comes full circle now just like pitching to me it's more about placement than speed if i can put it in the five hole at half that speed that's probably more important right i love that you ended this segment by saying five hole (laughs) friends that is another edition of f in sports mr ainsworth with all of his hockey knowledge and five hole sentiments (laughs) Uh, mr ainsworth what you uh why don't you talk to us a little bit about midweek mid-range what's going on this week sir yeah so this week we'll be wrapping up talking about you know as we approach the end of the trade deadline mid-season stuff i'm sure we'll talk about the mvp and lebron's injuries as well you can catch us midweek mid-range on instagram and twitter uh, every Wednesday night, live at 9 o'clock Eastern on YouTube and Twitter. And make sure you like, subscribe, follow, do all those kinds of things. It's a fun time. It's a Belly Up Sports basketball podcast. I say basketball because we'll probably touch some on March Madness. When the summer gets around, we'll talk about the WNBA too. It's about 45 minutes to an hour, and don't be afraid to pull up. No, absolutely. I will say that when you started saying go like, subscribe, share, I was like, is he stepping on my lines? Um, <laughs> uh, Friends, speaking of five hole, go check out Kyle Hall. Go check out the Broadway Hat podcast because the Rangers won a game nine to nothing this week, and we're back. The Rangers are back. It's like 1994 all over again, guys. If you are a Rangers fan, go check out my guy, Kyle Hall. He's got the best Rangers podcast on all of your podcasts. I don't care what you guys listen to, so go ahead and check him out mr ainsworth uh remind folks of your social sir and maybe they could talk to you about all of your wonderful <laughs> hockey knowledge yeah hockey knowledge or my latest fights on twitter have been trying to finish shaka smart but you can find me uh, <laughs> on twitter and instagram at painsworth 512 that's at p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h 512 all one word on twitter and instagram we also have a show twitter feed for this show it's at fn sports 2 that's at f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s number two all one word, I'll use dash PA, Shahui's dash CC. We're almost at a thousand followers, so let's get out there and get over a thousand by, by the end of this recording or by the end of this show or whatever. But Shaka, we have an Instagram too. We do have an Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media at Shaka Cummings at C H A K A C U M M I N G S. That's my Twitter. That's my Instagram. And I love the fact that Parker Ainsworth feels the need to defend me and tell everyone that Shaka is smart. I'm pretty sure that that's what he meant. <laughs> Friends, Thank you guys for listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.